We are so grateful for those folks. Yeah. Show our appreciation because these folks are working back here at the tech booth dealing with lighting and audio and visual and the broadcast stuff, the camera individuals, the folks back here, uh, folks in broadcast. Uh, we're so thankful for the combination of staff and volunteers who work so hard. And uh, these are folks you may not know, but they impact you every time you're in this space. So we're so thankful for them. And if you do have an interest in, vol- interest in volunteering, you can reach out to our office. But thank you guys for what you do uh, behind the scenes to serve Jesus and help all of us worship distraction-free. Our elders here at Calvary oversee the philosophical and spiritual direction of the church. I answer directly to them and then work with our team to implement the vision and philosophy and direction the elders give. And uh, I serve as one of those elders and wonderful folks that I serve with. And um, they helped us develop our 2030 vision. Well, when they are considering bringing someone on board, um, they have that person sit in for several months as what we call an elder intern so they can get a sense of how the board works and we meet monthly and they meet with us and uh, give input and all and then the elders come to this place where they decide whether it's a good fit and that person decides whether it fits for them before the Lord and if God's calling them to to lock arms and go forward together and so we've been doing that for the last several months with an individual and I'm going to ask Jeff Burned and his wife uh, Maggie and their kids to come up here and join me they've been so good to do this in every service thank you guys Um, and what we do though is when they decide they want to move forward before they formally invite that individual to join the elders, they get input from the congregation, from folks who may know them in the body, maybe in the community. Uh, We just need that input so you can scan the QR code on the chair near you there and uh, follow the link to the the elder candidate, that's Jeff. If you know him or Maggie and their family, it'd be great to get input. Uh, Also, you can give us suggested names of spiritually minded individuals you think can serve in this capacity through that link as well. And you can read the qualifications biblically of an elder, more details about their family and background there. We just thought we'd give you a chance to be introduced to them. Again, if you know them, we'd love that feedback. You can go to the website or you can scan that QR code. So thank you guys for being here, all three services. You guys have done great, thank you. And uh, Jeff, I know that this has been nine months of your spending time with the elders. And so I thought it might be good for the congregation just to get to know you a little bit more. But why don't the two of you start by just sharing how you came to a personal faith in Jesus? Yeah, thanks, Sean. And I'm thankful to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I grew up in a Christian home, growing to Presbyterian Church in Virginia, and got involved in Young Life in high school. And I can remember having a profound experience with God at a summer camp out in Colorado but came out to LA and um, I had this crisis of faith. I had my friend Grant who very much May 15th, 1997, it was dark, now it's light. Amazing conversion story. And I didn't have that. Kind of the Damascus road, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Yes, absolutely. And so I was actually talking to Scott who married Maggie and I about it. And he said, you know, there's, there's the road to Damascus but there's also the road to Emmaus, and you have the disciples after Jesus was resurrected. They're with this man. He's exposing truth, and then when he leaves, they realize it was Jesus all along, and I'm just thankful to have Jesus with me through all walks of life. I grew up in a Catholic home, and uh, my parents faithfully took my siblings and I to Mass every week, and um, like many things as a child, I didn't fully appreciate 
uh, going to Mass and all the prayers and traditions they said there. And so it didn't really have an impact on my life. And um, not until I got into high school and I went to a retreat with that Catholic youth group and the pastor explained that Jesus would like to have a personal relationship with me. And so that night I stood up and I told Jesus that I believed in him for the forgiveness of my, forgiveness of my sins and that I wanted to start um, a lifelong relationship with him. And um, he's been with me. You know, there's been ups and downs and all arounds, but he's been with me throughout the whole time. That's so. phenomenal. Well, uh, Maggie, why don't you introduce your kids and tell us a little bit about how your family, I know your whole family has been involved in serving and engaged in ministry here. So tell yes. us a little bit about that. Well, we first came to Calvary uh, through Awana and Jeff and I would serve and then all the kids would come. And um, now, well, I'll introduce, this is Addie. She's 14. This is Barrett. She's 12. And then we have Willa is 11, and then we have Kale is nine, and then we have Zeke is six. Um, <laughs> and yes, the three services. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, I had so many comments about how oh, that family is so perfect. Those kids didn't move after the last two services. I'm glad you're moving, Zeke. It well, he asked for a donut, and I'm uh, like, not before uh, the service. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but. Uh, so, yeah, and then um, serving, we both serve now in the fifth grade with for, for Willa, and then I always do VBS with one of the kids, and uh, Addie and Barrett also serve in VBS during the summer, and then Addie and Barrett do um, special abilities, and Addie does elementary school, and then Barrett does early childhood ministries, and so we try to stay involved. So good that they're plugged in and serving, and that you guys are doing that, and you've been a part of Calvary since 2015. And uh, you are an executive with Amgen here locally. What do you, uh, as you look at this opportunity, spending these months with these guys, and then now going forward, what, what are some of your thoughts about being an elder and what that role means? Yeah, so over the last six months, it was a privilege because I got to see as the 2030 vision was being finalized, it's just incredibly exciting for the vision of this church. Um, also, we get to meet um, the different staff and learn more and more about the ministries. I like to joke with Sean, we're the consumer reports of family ministries. <laughs> yeah. um, they give but us getting, the input. Yes, yeah. but getting exposure to all the great ministries happening here on campus and the talented staff. Um, I also have to say it's intimidating. So part of it is to guide and guard the church. And so for me, am I ready for this? And what I've realized over the, ne the last nine months is it is not just me. It's this group of God-fearing, Bible-believing elders, and we do this together. And with that, with the God of the universe on our side, we can do that. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you both. Thank you all for being here in all the services, and I hope they do give you a donut after this. Uh, you definitely deserve one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I just want to stop and pray, pray for this process. Again, if you know the Byrne family, we'd love to have your input. It helps us. Uh, and you can look at those qualifications there by scanning the QR code, going to our website, or just looking up 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 gives the, the biblical qualifications of 
uh, of an elder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Byrne family. Thank you for Jeff and Maggie and the way they've plugged in over these years. Thank you for Jeff spending time with us, getting to know us as an elder board and being with us in that journey of finalizing the 2030 vision, seeing what you were leading us toward. And I, I appreciate his humility in saying it can be intimidating, and yet uh, we do this as a group. Uh, you've given wisdom and multiple counselors in the room, and I pray for the elders you continue to uh, help us to walk closely with you. May we walk in holiness. May we be an example uh, of the body of believers internally and externally. And I pray for uh, this process of getting feedback that folks would share uh, their heart and their understanding if they, they know the Byrne family. Bless Jeff and Maggie in this and their kids. Uh, bless our elders. Bless our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Good job, guys. Thank you. One year after uh, the pandemic began in April of 2021, organizational psychologist Adam Grant wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times that gained a lot of attention and a lot of traction. The title of the article was, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling, It's Called Languishing. Languishing. That's where we were, that's the space we were in in terms of our psychology and our mental health a year after the pandemic and all of the political tensions and everything around that and other issues. And a few months later, another article dealing with languishing used the image of a woman listlessly walking on a hamster wheel, kind of doing what she's supposed to do, but no energy, no passion, no drive. As close as last fall, some research was done and put together about people in the workplace from the executives down to the the shop floor workers on their attitude, their spirit in life, where they were. And uh, 5% said they were super functional, things were great. 35% said they were thriving. 5% said they were going through some severe suffering in terms of their psychology and mental health. But 55% said they were languishing, languishing. Adam Grant in that original article back in April of 2021 said this, it wasn't burnout, we still had energy, it wasn't depression, we didn't feel hopeless, we just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. And then he went on to describe it, language is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. Now maybe you were experiencing that at some point in that pandemic era or even in the emerging from the pandemic. Maybe you've gone through waves of, of this kind of languishing. I love the illustration that was designed by the fellow that has the sketchplanations.com website where he takes some some complex things and tries to simplify them with a sketch and explain them. And he has the individual, this guy in a chair, just sort of slouched in the chair with a remote in one hand and then words around like stagnation, apathy, aimless, joyless, delight, drive going down, indifference, uh, not excited about the future, trying to describe languishing, even kind of a thought bubble of life being meh, or like Grant said, blah. Languishing on one end for poor, is poor mental health when you, when you feel like you're languishing and you're in this kind of blah, neutral, stagnant place. On the other end is flourishing where there's good health and we're doing well. I think there 
can be a languishing in terms of our physical health. We need to eat right, exercise, get sleep. We can be languishing in our interpersonal relationships of our marriage, our families, with our coworkers. We can be languishing on a variety of levels. Maybe perhaps you're languishing so much and it's become so chronic you need to seek some therapy and some help to move through and, and get back to that place of flourishing. But at the foundation of it all is who we are spiritually. God has not only wired us as physical and mental beings, but we have a spiritual component. And when we are languishing spiritually, kind of in a block, kind of in a eh, posture, we don't get to enjoy the life God wants us to enjoy. And it's not about the circumstances around us, it's about what's going on in the inside in terms of our understanding of who God is and what his purpose for our life happens to be. Today I wanna jump back into the book of Romans. We're gonna look at Romans chapter eight again. If you go there, this is our fifth of six messages looking at the six promises of Romans chapter eight, this gem of scripture as we talk about living in the grip of God's grace. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in the grip of his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his love, his goodness to you that you don't deserve. And so as we look at this fifth promise, it's the promise of unstoppable grace. From the moment you came to Jesus, God not only saved you by his grace, but he unleashed in you his grace to do a work in you. And no matter where you are, whether you are apathetic toward it or indifferent, whether you have pushed away from aligning and embracing and celebrating God's purpose in your life, God's unstoppable grace is going to work on completing that purpose in you as his child. And so if you're not aligned with God, you're gonna lack peace and hope and satisfaction in life and joy. But when you align with God and you embrace and celebrate him and his purposes for you, then you experience deep satisfaction no matter what your circumstances in life are. Now I wanna tell you right away, if you're trying to take notes based on the take note that's in the, the bulletin or that's online, um, I scrapped those after last night. Thankfully, the Saturday night service is a forgiving service, but I'd locked myself in too much there, so those notes won't help you. Um, <laughs> you'll just have to listen. At times, it'll feel like you can fill in things, and that's fine. You can find the completed ones online, and, and they are good notes. I worked on them all last week, but I, I felt like there was, there was something I, I needed, and so I just put those aside and, and follow along and let God speak to you as we move through Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we look at promise number five, the promise of unstoppable grace. And here is this promise. God's grace, his goodness you and I don't deserve, constantly uses everything in my life to make me more like Jesus. God's grace constantly uses everything in my life, good, bad, and ugly, the circumstances I'm going through, the people I'm walking this life with, whether they like me or they don't like me, he uses everything in my life to make me more like Jesus for God's glory and my ultimate good so that people can see Christ shine through me for God's glory and for my ultimate good. Now notice this, not my gain and immediate comfort. We come today to one of the most famous verses in all of the New Testament, Romans 8, 28. It says, we know, we know that in all things God works for good, works for the good of those who love him. 
And so people will say, well, I lost some things, it's been a bad day, and so tomorrow I'll gain some bigger, better, and brighter things. Because I'm going through this today, tomorrow has to be a better day because God said all things are working together for my good, so it, it means that not only will I get something better, it'll be a gain, but I'll be more comfortable. My circumstances have got to improve because you go through bad circumstances to get to some good circumstances. That is not what this verse is teaching. We often make this kind of a Christian lucky rabbit's foot where this is, this is that thing that we think, okay, he's gonna give me something better. Whatever I'm going through right now that's bitter, it's gonna get better. But actually, that's not what this passage is teaching. You have to understand it as it links to verses 29 and 30 and even seen in the whole of Romans 8 and even the entire wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome known as the book of Romans. See, he's making me more like Jesus for his glory and my ultimate good, his purpose for my life, which is to make me and mold me into the image of Christ so that I can live and love like Jesus in this world for his glory and my ultimate good, not my gain and not my immediate comfort. God's not working things together for good to improve your circumstances, but to transform you to transform you. And when we align with that, we embrace that, and we celebrate that, then we experience the peace and joy and satisfaction God wants for us. But when we ignore that, we ignore God and his purpose for our lives, or we minimize God and his purpose for our lives as his followers, it leads to just misery and difficulty and the lack of meaning and purpose and satisfaction. Let's look at Romans chapter eight, verses 28 through 30 here, these three verses. We talk about God's promise of unstoppable grace that's gonna shape us and mold us and make us like Jesus. And we know, now this is the second time in Romans eight we have this, and we know. The other one is in verse 22 that Pastor Brian Howard covered so well last week. And that was about how we know that all the creation is groaning, it's obvious that the, the world is broken and groaning because of sin and it awaits the day when Jesus returns and sets all things right. So we know that groaning and based on that groaning and those rough circumstances of this world, we know a second thing, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's just stop at verse 28 and say, there are five things we know, five things we know in verse 28, and that is God works. God works. God is not silent. God is not inactive. God is working in all of the circumstances of your life, good, bad, or ugly. God works. Secondly, God works for the good. He's working for what is the ultimate good, according to him, the sovereign God of the universe who loves you and wants his very best for you works for good. Thirdly, in all things. As a matter of fact, the way this is positioned in the original Greek, this is the emphasis, in all things. Not most things, not the easy things, not in the good things, but in all things, good, bad, or ugly, in all things, God works for the good. And number four is the reference here to those of those who love him, the good of those who love him. Now, scriptures make it clear that our love for God is a reciprocal love. We can only love him because what? He first loved us. 
And so these are those who verse one described as being in Christ Jesus. These are followers of Christ. And then it says about us, those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now often we think that when God calls us to be a follower of Jesus, that his ultimate purpose for us is that we would go to heaven and not hell. That his ultimate purpose in sending Jesus is to give us a fire escape. It is true that if you don't know Jesus and, and you do nothing with the claims of Christ and you go into eternity, you face a Christless eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's true, the Bible's clear about that. And yes, it's true that by faith in Jesus, and in Jesus alone can we have eternal life and an eternal home with him forever in heaven. But that is actually a byproduct of God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, here's the purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, the Son is the reflection of the Father in grace and truth. Jesus lived and loved in human flesh in a perfect way, in a way of perfect love and perfect holiness. And God's ultimate purpose for Sean, for you, if you know Jesus, is not just that you go to heaven, but that in this life you become more like Jesus because ultimately when you step into his presence, you're going to be conformed to his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, the firstborn in the ancient world was the one who had preeminence and they were to be replacing the head of the household or even the tribe or the family group. And so you looked at the firstborn as the example to follow and Jesus is that preeminent one that we follow and pattern ourselves after. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now I want us to understand what Paul is trying to communicate here about God's ultimate purpose for you and for me. It's that we would reflect the image of God. Now, when we were first created, if we go back to, to before time and when God is setting out to create everything, he intends, he says, let us make man in our own image. God creates man in his image by creation so that we have a conscience, we can discern, we can have wisdom, we can have character, Differing us from the animals, we have the breath of life, God's life in us, we're made in God's image. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and sin entered in. Now we are mar marred morally and spiritually. We still reflect the image of God by creation, but now we are spiritually dead and we are morally corrupt and even our best efforts fall short of the holy God. As a matter of fact, the Prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said, the best things we try to do religiously to impress God, actually those things are like filthy rags. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, the best things he did when he was the most religious, even though it was for the common good and helped other people, before a holy, righteous God, he said it was like rubbish, garbage, manure, our self-righteousness, because it doesn't measure up to the holy God of the universe, and we never can. We always fall short of his glory. But God saw us in this condition. He knew he'd made us in his image to reflect his glory and his light by creation, but he now needed to redeem us and restore us so that that image could be seen in us. And so while we were still in our sins, Paul wrote in chapter five, verse eight of Romans, Christ died for us. 
Jesus came, he died on the cross, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that God offers us now forgiveness, eternal life, a right relationship with himself, not through our own good works, not through coming to Calvary, not going to any church, not doing good things, being better than other people, but through what Jesus did and how he suffered on the cross. In his death, burial, and resurrection, when we put our faith in him and what he's done for us, we are then washed by his blood and clothed in his righteousness. That moment we cross that line of faith, whether it's a Damascus Road experience or an Emmaus Road experience, that moment we cross that line of faith, God picks us up out of the trash heap of sin and he makes us right in Jesus. But he has an ultimate goal still in mind. He has cleaned us up, but what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal that he has in mind is that I will one day... When I am in his presence, I will be just like Jesus. I'll be just like him. This represents that time we are with Jesus, either by death and we go to be with him, or Jesus returns. Maybe I should have a downward arrow, but I thought that wouldn't be very positive here. <laughs> this end of our lives. We're caught up to meet the Lord in the air when he returns, or we step into his presence by death. We're told that we'll be like Jesus. Now, this journey then is the Christian life. But I'm concerned there may be some of you who are still trapped in your sin. As we saw earlier in this chapter, it describes us as being enslaved to sin. But Romans 8.1 says, if we are in Christ Jesus, we put our faith and rest in our eternal destiny and our very being in Christ and his finished work for us. If we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The judgment is removed, and it is true then that the, the the penalty of our sin and judgment in a Christless eternity in hell, that's all removed when we are made right in Jesus. Romans 8.1 that we began this series says about God's grace that there is, no, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say, if you're, you haven't come to that place where you've rested your faith in Jesus, make today be that day so that God could pick you up out of your sin and your self-righteousness and make you whole and right and forgiven before him because of what Jesus did for you. Just talk to him. Rest your faith in him. I'll be slipping away to the Welcome to Calvary reception at the end of the service, and so Pastor Mack will be in the center of the lobby there to speak to anyone who has a question about anything or pray with you, but he can help you if today you've got questions about faith in Jesus, or maybe today's the day you put your faith in Jesus. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Our care team will be down front. Maybe you're online, joining our broadcast online, or even in the room, and, and you'd like to right now just express that I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I've, I've prayed that right now while you're talking, Sean. Then you can just immediately after that, just text the name Jesus to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. Just the word Jesus is the message, and and that's just your way of saying, I am right now putting my faith in Christ, or I have questions, we'll have someone reach out to you and talk with you, but just text the name Jesus to that number and we'll reach out and follow up with you. Make sure you know that you've crossed that line of faith, that God has picked you up out of the trash heap of sin and made you right in Jesus. And now he begins a journey in your life. Ultimately, we know that when we're with Jesus, we will be just like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says that when he appears, we will be like him. The, the scripture makes it really clear that at that moment he appears, 
we will see him as he is. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So ultimately, our final redemption, we will be like Christ. We won't be divine, but we will have that moral and spiritual aspect of us completely and finally redeemed and restored. See, there are kind of three phases to our salvation. Before, it was the condemnation, right? But when we put our faith in Jesus, then we come to this place of justification. The condemnation is removed, and we're freed from the penalty of sin. One day, we'll be freed from the very power, or the very uh, presence of sin. This is our glorification. We're made like Christ in his glorified body. We're with Jesus. And, and so from that point of, of being freed from the penalty of sin to being freed from the presence of sin, now this is the Christian life. And as I walk with God in his word and in prayer and with, his, with other believers, brothers and sisters of Christ, speaking into my life, as I serve, as I give, as I engage, and I walk with God here on earth, then he's gonna use the good, bad, and the ugly to mold me and shape me and make me more like Jesus. He's freeing me from the power of sin as I walk with him. Now, those of you who like theology, this is our justification, this is our glorification, and this is our sanctification, where we're being set apart from the sin of our past and of our lives today, and so now our thoughts, our attitudes, our relationships, our behaviors are changing as he brings circumstances, good, bad, and ugly, into our lives. We're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, so that as your pastor and as elders and as leaders here at the church and those who serve in the body, our goal for each other and as your pastor, my goal is to move you forward in becoming more like Jesus in life as you walk with Jesus. Colossians 1.28, Paul expressed this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. My agenda every week, I open God's word with you is to help you mature and grow in Jesus. So the moment you step into his presence, it won't be a big change or surprise when you are made like Jesus in final redemption. And what happens? Well, as God uses the good, bad, and the ugly and we walk with him, our joy and peace and satisfaction doesn't come from what our circumstances are. Our joy and peace comes as God's children that we recognize God and his purpose, that he's molding me and shaping me as I walk with him so that people will see his glory, his light. They'll see Christ in me as I live in love like Jesus more and more. And it's ultimately for my good, my peace. My, it's, it's, it's for my ultimate good, peace and joy and satisfaction and meaning in life. It's so important for us to understand this journey. And notice this is the Christian life. For some people, this from the moment they cross the line of faith in Christ, this can be two days, two months, two weeks, two years, two decades. It's the journey of the Christian life. And sometimes we know how this goes. None of us are perfect as we open God's word, we read God's word, we serve him and help other people. We're in small groups and prayer groups and Bible studies and people are speaking into our lives. It's often three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It's three steps forward. Looks like I'm introducing some sort of new dance step here, doesn't it? <laughs> but what it is, you see the progress that's being made? This is growth. This is growth in the right direction. Because as I walk with God, he's taking the mental health issues our family's dealing with, he's taking the physical crisis, he's taking the addiction and the substance abuse. We thought that that, 
family member had, had seemed to get over and it's come back and we're wrestling and all those circumstances that seem out of our control and even seem sometimes out of the control of the people in our lives. And he's using all of that to grow us so we shine brighter for Jesus wherever we go. Now here's the problem though, is when we don't align with God in his purpose of making us more like Jesus, we think my life's about something else. Or we, we, we prioritize something, we say, you know, well, we're just getting married and we'll get serious about God and his purpose for our lives once we start having children. Or our children are young, so we'll get serious about the things of God and, and his purposes for our lives when our kids get a little older, going off to college, we'll get serious about God and the, the, the purpose he has for our lives when, when we're empty nesters. Oh, we're now empty nesters. We're trying to arrange things to get ready for retirement and we're going to see the new grandkids and, and we forget God's purpose and relationship with us that's designed to make us like Jesus in every stage of life, through every kind of circumstance. That's what he's saying in chapter eight, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. That's interesting. If you take those five truths and affirmations that are completed action in past time, you've got he foreknew, he predestined, Roman, or Ephesians chapter one would say we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And we looked at Ephesians chapter one a little over a year ago. We talked about that controversy that's the oldest and, and most familiar theological controversy, and that is the sovereignty of God, God choosing people who would be saved, the free will of man, the responsibility of man. So you have the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. This is debated in seminary hallways and those freshman seminarians, they think they got it all figured out. I don't have time to dive into how that works and the beauty of God's heart and mind, but he's talking about foreknowing. It's not just information here. This is the word for an intimate knowledge, like a loving knowledge. Predestined means planned. And for a deeper understanding of that harmony and beauty of God's divine responsibility, God's divine sovereignty and our human responsibility, you could scan the QR code in the chair next to you or you can go on our website and there's a video clip there from Ephesians chapter one, that message I preached, I wore a tux, there was a purpose to that, but you're gonna get a little clip, five to six minutes, that explains that healthy tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. But it says he foreknew, he lovingly knew. He predestined, and notice that he predestined us, what? Not just to be saved or for heaven or hell, but he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. This is his ultimate goal, that we might reflect the image we had before the fall in our creation image of God. Now we will reflect it ultimately for all eternity as trophies of his grace, and he wants to mold us and shape us from the inside out through this sanctification process as we're set apart from sin and set apart to Christ more and more. And then you've got, so you've got the he foreknew, he predestined. Then it says, he called, called out of sin into what? Relationship with God, forgiveness. He justified, so he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, made us right with God. And then all of a sudden he skips, and the fifth one is, and those he justified, he glorified. It's a completed action. This again reminds us there is nothing that can stop God's unlimited grace in our lives. We are his and he will keep us. He holds on to us, we don't hold on to him. We will be glorified and that we'll be made like his glorious body. We'll be free of the very presence of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin forever. 
It's interesting. It seems like he left out the middle part here. For new, predestined, uh, called, justified, glorified, verses 28 and 29. What about this part? Well, this is the conforming to the image of his son part. This is the sanctification part. That's the ongoing process that happens in our lives. Now, here's the bottom line to this. The bottom line is simply, you're either flourishing, the fruit of the Spirit are being seen in you, people are seeing Jesus in you more and more, the world's saying, wait, he's got something, she's got something different. They're going through the same financial stuff, the same cancer, they're battling the same things, but there's something different in them, and they're drawn to Jesus. As we reflect Christ and we live in love like Jesus, individually and collectively as a church in this world and in this community, we're flourishing as we open God's word. We pray, we hang out with God's people, we serve, we live out our responsibilities as followers of Christ to become more like Jesus. We're flourishing. That's when we engage with God intentionally and his purpose for our lives. You say, I see it. I don't like this circumstance. I really like this one. But in either one, I want to engage with you and allow those things to mold me and shape me and make me more like Jesus. Or you can, you can wither. That's where you just sort of stop and say, I think I've arrived. I think I'm pretty good compared to other people. You see the other people in this church. I'm pretty good. We get really content. We actually begin to wither because we neglect God's word and prayer and hanging out with God's people. We begin to wither. Withering is intentionally ignoring God and his purpose for our lives. That's when we say, I've got something better. I've got a bigger priority. My job, my career, my family, something else is more important than God. When you're not aligned with God and his purpose to make you more like Jesus so others can see Jesus in you, your life is gonna lack peace and joy and satisfaction. You're not just gonna languish, you're gonna wither when you intentionally ignore God and prioritize something else. But there is not just this withering and flourishing, but then there's this languishing, kind of the in-between, where we unintentionally minimize God and his purpose. We get caught up in other things at different stages of life. We prioritize something over time with God in prayer and in his word. We prioritize other things than God's family and serving God so that we begin to find ourselves out of alignment and we're languishing. We just sort of have a spiritual blah. Let me say, if you've been withering or you've been languishing, part of that is you just simply repent of it and you say, okay, God, I've been languishing, I've been withering. I haven't been in your word, I haven't been in prayer, I've been hanging out with your people, I haven't, I haven't been feeding myself, I haven't been growing spiritually. All right, this is a new day. I repent of that, I'm leaving that behind. I'm pursuing you and your purpose for my life to make me more like Jesus through the good, bad, and ugly of my life. You see, God's unstoppable grace, from the moment you receive Jesus, he's gonna keep working on you. Sometimes he's gonna use a fine chisel. A lot of times when you're aligned with him, it's gonna be a fine chisel just carving and shaping who you are. But when you're out of alignment, you're going to say, wow, this feels rough. It might be because he's taking a sledgehammer to try to <laughs> shape you and mold you and get those areas where you're unwilling to walk in obedience or allow him to change you. But you need to repent of that withering or that languishing and say, okay, God, I'm going to pursue being like Jesus by getting to know you more. You know, Adam Grant has recently said that the languishing is beginning to end in the workplace in America. And he said it's because some people took little baby steps, didn't have to be big steps in the right direction, 
If you found yourself languishing or withering, as you say, God, I turn from that. I want to be aligned with you and embrace and celebrate you and your purpose to make me more like Jesus as I walk with you. And just take the baby steps. Let me, as these, as these visual uh, aids here, these props are being removed by others, let me give you what you do to respond to God's unstoppable plan to make you like Jesus if you've been, if you've been uh, languishing or withering. Number one, tell God you choose to engage with him and his purpose for your life. Let him know it. Say, God, I have been languishing. I have even been withering. I haven't been engaging with you, aligning with you, celebrating and embracing you and your purpose to make me as your child more like Jesus by walking with you. I want to engage with your unstoppable grace. Tell him. And then read your Bible every day. Just start this week with a goal to read one chapter in John. Read John chapter 1 today, John chapter 2 tomorrow, John chapter 3 the next day. And see in the Gospel of John, Jesus being revealed. Get a fresh glimpse of Jesus and who he is. Let God's word speak to you and who you need to be as you see Jesus afresh. And talk to God, pray to him. As a matter of fact, as you pray to him, thirdly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to be more like Jesus every day. Ask him to help you in the Gospel of John as you read one chapter a day to see a fresh glimpse of who Christ is and who you are compared to that and how you change Based on that. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you where there's sin, where there are bad attitudes and wrong thinking and behaviors and relationships that are not in alignment with one who's pursuing Christ's likeness. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to be more like Jesus every day. He will. And fourthly, tell a Christian friend you intend to flourish and need the prayers, their prayers and input. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's somebody you pray with. Maybe it's a brother or sister you're real close to in Christ. And just say to them, you know what? I have been flourishing. If it's somebody in the church say, as Pastor talked about this weekend, I, I, haven't, I haven't been flourishing. I have been languishing. And would you hold me accountable to taking those baby steps of reengaging in my relationship with God and watching God mold me and shape me and make me more like Jesus? Maybe it's somebody outside the church say, hey, your pastor spoke on this and explain to them that your desire is to be flourishing for Christ so that Jesus can be seen in you. See, God's unstoppable grace, this grace is using everything in our lives, good, bad, and ugly, to make us more like Jesus for God's glory and our ultimate good, not our gain, bigger, better, and brighter, or our comfort that we, we sort of have our circumstantial calm waters, but so through everything, we can become more like Jesus and shine for Jesus so more people We'll see Jesus in us and be drawn to him, maybe to him, even as Savior. Are you languishing? You don't have to be. Lean into Jesus. Take those baby steps forward. Father, help us in this world where it seems so easy to just get stuck in neutral psychologically, mentally, spiritually. Help us to take those steps forward to allow you to shape us and make us more like Jesus. Pray for those who kind of feel like their spiritual life is meh, blah. May they recognize they were originally made in the image of God. That while by creation we still reflect so much of that morally and spiritually, we needed Jesus. And now you seek to reflect that image again more and more in us as we become more like Christ. May Jesus be seen in us, we pray. In his name, amen. <laughs> 